0: Welcome to the townsend institute podcast series tips a show produced by the townsend institute at concordia university irvine this podcast provides tips into leadership coaching and counseling topics aimed at helping listeners grow in both their personal and professional lives i'm dr john townsend psychologist organizational consultant and author of over 30 books including the new york times best-selling boundaries series I'm also the founder of the Townsend Institute, and I'm excited to introduce your podcast hosts, Townsend Institute Program Directors, Dr. Ashley Andrew and Dr. Gilbert Fugit.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We are in studio today with Crystal Rosenthal, Concordia University Irvine's Athletic Director and Head Softball Coach. Crystal's resume is a long one. Just a few of her accolades include her membership in the university's Athletics Hall of Fame and title as the winningest coach across all sports in Concordia, Irvine history.
0: Her decades of experience working with student athletes paired with her current role as university athletics director make her a great person to talk about leading and working with student athletes, coaches, and everything in between. Let's get started. Crystal, we are so excited today. Ashley and I get to uh, interview on the Townsend Institute podcast series. Uh, you are our athletic director here at um, uh, Concordia University, Irvine. But could you tell us a little bit more about your story, uh, how you ended up, where you are today? <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. Quick quick story. So, I um,
2: went to a local Christian high school and had an opportunity... Um, to play Division I softball. Took a visit to Concordia um, at the bequest of my then high school coach who wanted me to check out Christian College. Mm -hmm. Um, Walked on campus here and and a lot of reasons why, but really felt like this is where I was supposed to go. So from 1996 to 2000, went to college here, graduated, um, became the assistant coach like immediately after, Mm -hmm. and then through many side jobs. I've worked a lot of places on campus. I've been an academic advisor. I've worked in internals. I've worked in the wellness center. Um, I've worked in pretty much every department possible and probably for most people here. Uh, then became the head coach in 2008, got my master's, backtrack, 2006 from the MCA program. Became the head coach in 2008 and then rolled into the athletic director role <laughs> 15 <laughs> years later or something. So I've uh, been here for a really long time, um, have always felt strongly this is where God wants me to be. So I have continued to stay and serve amongst many friends now.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I mean, we share a lot of similarities, except I was, of course, never recruited for a Division One sport. I know that might surprise you, but that <laughs> didn't No happen. girl
1: softball teams can no, call you you what.
0: I wouldn't mind. Uh, yeah. No, but not, nothing. Nothing. So, yeah. In fact, a coach asked once for video and I was like, well, yeah, you don't need that. So that won't go well. So.
1: <laughs> well, a long history that you have here at Concordia, uh, Crystal, in a variety of roles, like you mentioned, assistant coach. Head coach of the softball team, and now as athletic director. With that, I'm sure comes a lot of opportunities for leadership to lead your immediate team, and of course the student athletes and stuff that you oversee. Can you talk to us a little bit about your leadership approach or leadership style?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's maybe all of athletics are the same. So leading um, student athletes, you have a lot of type type A personalities. A lot of people. Um, I don't know. I, I've only been an athlete my whole life, so <laughs> I think. Generally, I'm pretty aware of dealing with that kind of set of people. Becoming an athletic director, my most challenging job has been leading who are definitely type A head coaches Mm. um, is interesting. And I'm one of those coaches. So you have to really um, figure out the best way to reach people that are also leading other people Mm. that have a very um, narrow minded and not in a bad way. Our job is to have a narrow minded approach for our sport. That's our job. Um, So figuring out how to get everybody on the same page to accomplish a task, I would say my leadership style is I'm pretty inclusive in terms of um, wanting people to be a part of the process, both on my team and in my department. But ultimately, I think I'm fairly strong. at I I have no problem making a decision. Um, I'm pretty communicative, sometimes direct. People call me. Um, But I have always found that the more I can tell people the truth, at least in my opinion, Mm -hmm. the easier that we can get through something. I don't have a hard time with conflict. I don't love it. Who loves conflict? But I don't have a hard time getting there if we have to. So I think overall, my leadership style is probably listen, talk about it, decide, and then be as authentic and as honest as I can. Um, I just always said I'm not smart enough to keep track of like, if I'm not honest, so I just have to say what it is. When I work with 30 women in my softball program, honesty is the key for us because there's hard conversations every day. So they know for me, if you ask, you're going to get a real answer. So if you don't want to know, you're better off not asking me. Don't ask. Yeah, don't (laughs) ask. Don't ask.
0: Well, so you're working with softball a lot and you're athletic director. So we just have lots of hats for you here um, at the school. But I know in the sport of softball, like a lot of sports and stuff, you deal a lot with failure, right? If you're a pitcher, you give up a home run, you're a batter, you you strike out sometimes, not a lot or else you probably don't play a lot. But how, how how do you help your student athletes or coaches and things with failure and resilience?
2: Good question. I think the number one thing you learn as an athlete is... You only have control over one thing, and that's your preparation. You don't even have control over your your gifts, really. Mm-hmm. I think um, I tell my girls all the time, there's only two reasons why someone doesn't make an adjustment, and both of them are bad. One is your body can't because it's not capable, and the other one is you don't want to. So I think talking about failure, we talk a lot about the process. If you want to navigate failure, you have to really give all that you can to the process of improvement. And if you don't, failure is almost not manageable. If you do, it's much easier to, to rely back on. I've done all the things that I can control. Now, a younger mind has a hard time with that sometimes. So we have to go back to like, what what do you find value in yourself and what's your identity in? Because if it's in this outcome, mm-hmm. uh, good luck, because you're going to not hit, even if you're great, you're going to not hit seven times out of 10. So you've better figure out where your identity comes from. So we work on um, what's your faith like, what's your walk like, and then what does your value come from? To me, I think my thing I can control as a coach is to treat my players the same, regardless if they play a lot, they don't play a lot, they're great, they're not great. And I have to be intentional about that because I don't love you because of your outcome that you can provide for my softball team. I love it when you can provide the outcome because it's awesome for all of us, mm-hmm. but it has nothing to do with your value. So I think the, the environment to failure is really important. Like, and that's where I check my coaches. Like, Are we say who we say we're going to be? Or is there like a weird awkwardness because someone didn't perform the way we would have liked them to. So I think failure is interesting, but I have found for myself if I'm prepared as much as I can be and we don't win, well, that just wasn't meant to be.
1: What a great lesson uh, that you're you're helping these student athletes with that are just going to help, you know, set them up for life because you know whether it's the adjustments that they need to make to the preparation and the mechanics in their sport, mm-hmm. but see how that translates to the adjustments that they need to make when they go in for job interviews or their first couple of days, weeks in a new career mm-hmm. that might be brand new or, you know, moving and starting out mm-hmm. in a new city. Um, I mean, these are all adjustments that that can be hard for anyone. But especially, I would assume, you know, someone younger, mm-hmm. right, who, like you said, maybe hasn't made that full adjustment mentally. So that's that's great. Do you have a success story you can share of maybe um, a student athlete or a team that perhaps did this well?
2: Yes, Um, I have a team and a student athlete on that team. So in 2012, we were, that was by far the best team I had ever had here. Mm -hmm. Um, We broke the NCAA record. We won 44 games in a row. And to be honest, we had eight players that had no business playing at the lower level of NAIA. Just, we we were blessed. We had an amazing team. We got upset that year early in the national tournament, which was a shock to all of us and really rattled me to like, what am I still doing this for? Mm -hmm. The next year we come back and we're not as good on paper. Um, and we have a terrible fall. So we play in the spring with a terrible fall. And we had a player on my team that I thought recruiting would play a lot more than she did. She got injured and some things happened. And probably in, in fairness to her, I didn't give her an opportunity as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. So her senior year is now. So she and one of her other teammates take this team in the fall and just lead the heck out of it. Quietly, privately. Publicly, publicly take accountability and you start to see this transformation happen. So for me in about March, we lost our first game of the season that year and we never do that. And then I'm like, see, I knew we were bad. <laughs> well, from then on, that leadership and that closeness of that team took over. And about mid-March, I remember telling my associate head coach, like, I think we're, I think we're gonna win this year. And she's like, yeah, yeah right, we're not gonna win. <laughs> The story is the girl, the same girl that took that leadership role, we were in the national tournament game one. We were up 6 nothing, and we imploded. The home team was a team from Georgia. We were in Georgia. There were 2,000 people at this game, and they were brutal to us.
0: Oh, wow.
2: They had a lot of things to say about the girls from California with makeup on, but that was okay. <laughs> um, they come all the way back, and they tie at 6-6. This kid comes off the field after this diabolical of an inning, and they had two hits in the, in the inning. They scored six runs. So imagine what happened. Um, she comes in, we get in a circle and she says, I got this. Don't worry about it. I got it. And she comes up, but I'm not joking. She rips the first pitch, probably 300 feet over that fence. And we win seven, six. And that's it. We won the national tournament from there. So I remember I thought for myself, I would be so excited for myself. We finally did it. And I remember looking out at that field thinking like, I can't believe that they did this. Wow. So it was a story of internal leadership because I wasn't any different than I was the year before I'd coached the same this kid and her teammates were why we did that. And it was hundred percent development of a person that decided I'm going to do something with my opportunity. She was an all American that year. She was all conference. She was all tournament. It was
0: awesome.
1: That's amazing. Yep. That's amazing.
0: Well, Crystal, I mean, I'm just thinking that person here in in the towns Institute, we talk about the, the growth model, right? And one of the character capacities is, is integration. So holding the good and the bad, and that 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 person had to really be able to hold the good of the bad because she didn't have a lot of opportunities till her senior year. And it sounds like she not only really took it; she took on a leadership role mm. that I don't know. Maybe other players didn't even think she she would be able to do and things, but she certainly proved herself. It sounds like. So.
2: I would have never picked her as this person, and to this day we have a great relationship now. And she's a really supportive alumni. But that was the coolest story I ever
0: watched. Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. So. As you've been doing this, you know, you've been doing this a few years now and started right out of college coaching, you know, probably coached, I imagine, even while you were in college, mm-hmm. right? What have you rethought regarding leadership? What What have you changed your mind on?
2: Well, I, in my MCA program, I did my 595 portfolio. And if I go back and look at that now, I probably do 2% of that book, uh-huh. I would say. I think what you learn is you have like uh, like standards, right? Like standards that you either get from growing up or you you attain over time or they're from your faith, wherever you get them from. Yeah. So those core things probably haven't changed. But I guess what I thought coaching would be and what it took was much different. That book that I did was probably more filled of things that sounded great, mm-hmm. which was probably my ego then saying like, I'm going to do this and then we're going to do that and then we're going to do this. And then you get a group of people and it's like, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, you're going to do what you need to do according to these people. So I think for me what I've learned over time is that no two teams are the same, no person is the same. And if you truly, for me I coach cuz I love my student athletes and I love to more than even that I love to I love to be a small part of the process of watching them do something really cool, like transform themselves somehow. And so I think when I look back, the winning here has taken place in our softball program because of that. More than any single thing is investment in people. And it's a real It's not just me. It's my whole staff. It's all my, it's all of the things. So when I think about how, what's taken over in leadership, I think I've learned to assess myself constantly to make sure I'm being what the group of people I'm leading need. And it's not what I think always. Everyone says like, don't worry what other people think. Like, I think if you're a leader, you have to worry what other people think, Mm -hmm. because if you don't, how do you know how you're impacting the group you're trying to lead? And it's not a popular thing to say because, you know, the world will tell you like, Be
1: who you are. Yeah, be who
2: you are and do what's, okay, great. But if I want to impact other people, does it matter what they think about what I'm doing? Like, well, yeah, it does. So I think assessment for me is um, really important every year. What did I do well? What did I not do well? And I'm going to need to hear from the people I'm leading and they're going to have to feel comfortable telling me the truth. Because if they can't, then I'm going to still be like, I'm so great at this. I'm so good. (laughs)
1: Like,
2: I'm way better when you tell me what I did wrong. Like, I love, I just did evaluations with my players a month ago, our end of the year evaluations. And my kids can tell me like, you didn't play me enough. You didn't give me an opportunity enough. I didn't get enough. And it's like, okay, I hate hearing it, but <laughs> I love that you can tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's the key is what I've learned is like, it's, you have to change. And sometimes you have to stay the same because you have to know what you what it is that's working and what's not working. And you have to have like your little bag of tricks to go to. When
1: well, I love that you don't shy away from the difficult conversations and you're also teaching your players not to shy away. And that, that's an, amazing trait mm-hmm. to help set them up for. Yep. That's for sure. You reference MCAA for our listeners, that's our master's in coaching and athletics and administration. Uh, I know we've been fortunate to even have some of your student athletes mm-hmm. join our master's mm-hmm. in organizational leadership program over the last couple of years. And just what a just new dynamic and perspective they bring to our classrooms, being these, you know, younger student athletes, mm-hmm. But they come, even though they're so young, they come with so much leadership experience having kind of, you know, been to the top of their sport. For those of our listeners who perhaps are managers, supervisors, currently hiring or working with members of our younger generation, the the young Gen Z, what recommendations do you have for them for working with, you know, these folks coming right out of college?
2: Yeah, I think. It's important for me at least as I'm working with them to never put people in a box. I found that Gen Z doesn't love to be called Gen Z. Um, <laughs> Whoops, <laughs> but they do like to be treated yeah. like Gen Z. Yeah. I would go back to what I said like I don't know how many gen whatever I've worked with in my career, but I've I've said like um They're like universal truths about people. People want to feel valued. They want to feel inspired. They want to feel supported. They want to be told the truth. I don't think those things are ever going to change. Mm -hmm. Um, Great point. And I don't know. Maybe they will. Maybe they will because the world is weird. But I think the things that do change are like how to get to those places with those people. So I would say to people managing younger people, you better figure out like, how do you feel valued? What makes you feel supported? How do you feel loved? I mean, I'll do my head coach's evaluation starting next week. And every one of my coaches needs something different from me. So the only way to know that, and if you're not capable of providing that, then you can be the kind of manager that's like, this is who I am. And that, that can work. But I think if you're leading this younger generation, I think it's important to understand, like, what do they need? What do they value? What do you need? What do you value? How can you come to agreement to understand that you're going to have some differences? But I mean, to be honest, we've always had differences from age generations, it's always existed. We just understand it better. I don't think everyone needs to like start TikTok and be on Instagram and be on Facebook to relate, but you need to understand that that is important to a group of people and that is how they get their information. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to stay current if you want to lead younger people.
0: I I love that because, uh, you know, you talk about uh, being able to give that feedback, right? Your your players will say, hey, I should be able to play more. Or your coaches will probably say, hey, I need more resources. I need this and that. I'm, I'm sure they never say that to you. But, um, but, but Patrick Lincioni, one of our Townsend Institute fellows, talks about artificial harmony and how dangerous that is for a team when they just act like everything's okay when it's, when it's really not. And I, I love how you've taken away that, that culture here at uh, the athletic department and on your team. So for you, Crystal, I know you haven't done this all by yourself, becoming a leader. Who's been a, a mentor? in your life really
2: good question i think uh, my parents first Mm -hmm. i have really great parents um my dad coached for many years he was a high school teacher junior high teacher but my mom is the secret sauce to the group probably Mm -hmm. she didn't play sports but if you come to my games she's still there to this day she's fiery she she loves sports um but they instilled in me really good values you know family first people first love people work really hard don't complain um that's why I talk fast. I am the youngest of six kids. So by the time the dinner conversation got to me, everybody was bored. So I had to get it out quick. <laughs> my me, my family has been a big a big um, mentorship for me. And then I think I had a couple of really cool coaches growing up. Um, I had a, a guy that was just someone's dad coaching me in softball. But that guy taught me what loyalty was like and what um, people, why people were important. And then my high school coach at my Valley Christian High School taught me how to build a program um, and then my associate head coach, Rose, is probably my best, she's my best friend, but she's probably my biggest mentor in terms of like coaching mm-hmm. and, and really serving our student-athletes. She's just really good at that. And then I think here, probably who's taught me the most here, which is going to come as like a who? <laughs> Diane Wieselmeyer was an academic advisor here for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. She really, really taught me. Like you're never too busy for somebody else. Mm-hmm. We'd be working at like 10 at night and someone would come knocking on the door and she's dead tired. And they're like, do you have a minute? She's like, yeah, come on in. And I'm like, I'm going home. <laughs> um, but I pick up, you know, I pick up things from everybody that that's around me. I think right now we're a president. He's a dynamic leader. I really like to pick his brain, even though I like to give him a hard time. But I love smart people. I love to learn. So and I love talent. I mean, I coach for a living. So if I feel like you've got something, I'm trying to. Suck so it out again, throw it in my body, so I can figure out how to use it. So, those people I think are, have been the biggest. I'm a huge reader, um, so Do I like.
1: Do you have a favorite book?
2: It's boring. It's John Adams by David McCullough. Uh-huh. I know I was a history major. I'm like a little bit of a nerd, but I yeah, I really, I really love that book. And if you want to know what's wrong with America now, just go back and read it, and you'll figure out what it was supposed to be like. It's <laughs> messed up now.
0: I, Great I think writing. I've learned a little little bit. I'm gonna go Great. read this. John.
2: But I just, I mean, I'm, I've I've read. You know, um, I mean, all kinds. I read from history to politics to nonfiction to classics to self-help to all of it. Um, I just, I, I like, I'm a very fast reader,
0: so I just can't get enough.
2: Yeah, that's great. Yep,
1: that's great. Gilbert's writing it down. He added it to his Kindle just now.
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I, <laughs> but I loved it though. You mentioned a person on your mentor list, and of course, Diane, the President Thomas, are fantastic. But, but Coach Rose, Coach Rose, she's had other opportunities to go become head coach at other places. And she stayed with, I've always thought about that, how you all are such a team. She, you've created this culture. She stayed here. Um,
2: Loyal, like, like family, like real yeah. family. We've been through it, right? We've, we've, yeah. we've been friends for a really long time. And I think just her, she's got the most faith of any person. I know her, her relationship with Jesus is the best of anybody that I know. Mm-hmm. And not in ways that are like huge, just her life, her daily walk, what comes out of her mouth, her actions. And that for me every day is like, man, I'm bad. She's really good. And I'm really bad. (laughs) I got to get it together. But I think that's for me. um, I don't know when she'll move on if ever. I hope never. But that for me has been the best mentor in my faith has been Rose for sure by far.
1: What a blessing it is to be surrounded by so many um servant leaders, yep. really, it sounds like mm. people first, um, loving others first. So yep. that's awesome, Crystal. We can't thank you enough for all you've shared with us today. We end every Townsend Institute podcast series with the takeaway tip. So if you have one tip for our listeners to go away from, what would it be?
2: Wow. Well, I think because of what the the climate you're in, it's like nev- you're ne- you never know enough. You never know better. You there's always something that you can learn. So good for the people in this program um, for challenging themselves to I see there are people here this week in the Townsend Institute. And I just met a lady yesterday. She's she said, I've only I've been home taking care of my kids for 20, 22 years and I'm finally taking care of myself. And then oddly enough, I saw her again at the end of the day. And she's like, I'm so tired. I'm like, you can do this. Like, keep going. Good for yourself. So I think constantly trying to improve is is really under is an underrated tool so i think just understand like you don't know everything you're never going to know everything remember that with grace when you're working with other people that's so great it's never too late
0: never Never too late late. and she just went into it in our model grace truth and time yeah and you
2: guys i didn't even know that wow (laughs) we didn't even plan this (laughs) i didn't didn't know that
1: (laughs) thanks so much crystal we appreciate it yep
0: all right thank you for being here of course Special thanks to Gadessa Labawa CUI alumni for the tips podcast music. If you enjoy the Townsend Institute podcast series, head to our website, cui.edu slash Townsend to find out more about the certificates or bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degrees offered through Concordia University, Irvine. With programs in organizational psychology, mental health counseling, executive coaching, consulting, and organizational leadership, we have a variety of faith-based, programs dedicated to helping you fulfill your academic and professional goals all while further developing your competence and character again that's cui.edu townsend